Uh, yes, climate change has is clearly interacting uh, more and more with invasive species. It started in particularly in marine environments with rising sea temperatures. But in Australia, we see climate change leading to foxes getting higher up into the Alps, the Australian Alps, where our um, mountain pygmy possum populations are. So the interactions with climate change are critical. But if you flip it on the head, uh, uh, invasive species are actually when they, um, you know, uh, species like rabbits are degrading our ecosystems and they're making them more prone to, to, to climate change. So what we've been up, we're arguing is that if we can effectively manage our invasive alien species, we can actually rebuild the resilience in our ecosystems to climate change. That's Chief Scientist at the CSIRO, Dr. Andy Shepard, talking recently on Radio National Breakfast Show with host Patricia Carvellis. And I'm Robert McLean, your host of Climate Conversations, and this is the latest episode. Welcome. It's so great to have you on board. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Now you'll find the link for that Radio National interview with Dr. Shepard in the show notes. Let's shift now to a story from Yale Climate Connections. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. In 2021, Hurricane Ida devastated the small coastal Louisiana community of Convent in St. James Parish. A lot of people were displaced. A lot of people had roof damage in my community. Melissa Bright says the hurricane tore the roof off her parents' home. In the days and months after, help was scarce. So despite having no experience, she began making repairs by herself. Then, she says, help arrived in the form of the Louisiana Just Recovery Network, or LJRN. It's a network of environmental groups and volunteers that formed to help people rebuild their homes after the disaster. By volunteering with the group, Bright learned how to demolish houses, hang drywall, lay flooring, and eliminate mold. She helped repair her parents' home, along with other homes in her community. Now she's employed full-time by LJRN as a community construction coordinator. I enjoy doing the type of work that I'm doing because I feel like I have a purpose, um, helping people. And helping strengthen her community's ability to rebuild and recover after extreme storms, which are growing more frequent as the climate warms. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Next, we have a story from The Conversation, written by Andrew King. Andrew is a senior lecturer in climate science at the University of Melbourne. The headline for his story says, Not burning, drowning. Why outdoor festivals like Burning Man are reeling from extreme weather. His story begins. Climate activists line the road to this year's Burning Man Festival in Nevada to call out the privileged mindset of the Silicon Valley types who flock there and the waste involved in creating a temporary city in the desert. A couple of days later, disaster struck. Unprecedented rain, 20 millimetres in 24 hours, turned the desert into mud, trapping the 70,000 festival-goers. As you might expect, the internet went wild with chiffonade. But there's a deeper issue here. 
This is not the first, and it won't be the last, outdoor festival upended by unprecedented weather. It was only a month ago when the world-scale jamboree in South Korea was crippled by intense heat and typhoons, forcing its abandonment. Last year's Splendour in the Grass Festival in northern New South Wales turned into a mud pit after unprecedented rains. Outdoor festivals are a summer rite of passage for many. Warm weather makes them possible, but summers when we often see the wildest weather too. As climate change loads the dice, we see more festival disruptions more often. You'll find a link for that story in the show notes. Next we have a story from the New York Times, and the headline for that story is America is using up its groundwater like there's no tomorrow. The story begins. A wealth of underground water helped create America, its vast cities, and bountiful farmland. Now Americans are squandering that inheritance. The Times analysed water levels reported at tens of thousands of sites, revealing a crisis that threatens America's prosperity. Nearly half the sites have declined significantly over the past 40 years, as more water has been pumped out than nature can replenish. You'll find a link for that story in the show notes. Now we have another story from the New York Times, and this one has the headline, For Planet Earth, This Might Be the Start of a New Age. A panel of experts has spent more than a decade deliberating on how and whether to mark a momentous new epoch in geological time, our own. The story is by Raymond Zong, and it begins. The official timeline of Earth's history, from the oldest rocks to the dinosaurs, to the rise of the primates and the Paleozoic, to the Jurassic and all points before and since, could soon include the age of nuclear weapons, human-caused climate change and the proliferation of plastics, garbage and concrete across the planet. In short, the present. You'll find a link for that story in the show notes. Listen now as the new chair of Climate Outreach, Susan Adams, introduces herself. Hi everybody, my name is Susan Adams and I'm the new chair of Climate Outreach. I spent most of my career as a lawyer in the banking industry, although I also ran my own business as an executive coach for a few years. I've been a non-executive on, um, in the charitable sector before um, for, for a national charity, Lawworks, and also for two smaller charities. And I've been a non-executive on a consultancy in the healthcare sector as well. So I have some experience at ward level, um, which I'm keen to bring to climate outreach. Um, I've always been interested in green issues, but I've never really acted on it, um, except at a very micro level. You know, we're talking wormery, recycling, you know, buying less, um, trying to be conscious around travel too. My turning point came this year um, when I went on a leadership course and I heard a climate activist speak about the urgency of the need for action in the climate change space. I then went on another climate change course through my employer Lloyds Banking Group um, and met Climate Outreach for the first time. The session they ran um, for us, which focused on conversation around climate issues and an understanding of what it meant to us and what it could mean to us, was really eye-opening. And the the focus on science and understanding and bringing people along on the journey who might not be in, in, in the know, so to speak, about climate issues was really powerful. So I actually then looked them up and thought this would be a great place to be, um, a great organisation to be on the board for. 
Um, and it just so happened that the team were recruiting for both a chair and a non-executive. I put my hat in the ring um, for both and the rest is history, as they say. So why climate outreach for me? Firstly, as I said, I was blown away by the workshop I attended. But the second thing is when I looked at the mission, their mission on the website, our mission, I should say, the focus not just on science, but on conversation and on people and bringing people along. Such a powerful message and so aligned to my own philosophy about conversational leadership and people first that I really had to be part of it. So that's me and I'm looking forward to the journey. Thank you. Let's shift now to a story from the Washington Post and it has the headline, Climate-Linked Ills Threaten Humanity. The story is by Bagdad Youssef from Pakistan. And the story begins. The floods came and then the sickness. Muhammad Yukub stood on the concrete porch and watched the black, angry water swirl around the acacia trees and rush towards his village last September. The deluge making a sound that was like nothing he'd ever heard. It was like thousands of snakes sighing all at once, he recalled. At first he thought villagers impromptu sandbags made from rice and fertiliser sacks had helped save their homes and escape Pakistan's worst flood on record. But Yakub, whom villagers called Wadro or Chief, soon realised that it was just the beginning of a health disaster. The temperatures rose to triple digits as the water that would not recede festered in the sun. An elderly woman died in a boat on the way to hospital, overcome by heat and dehydration. Dark clouds of mosquitoes bit through even the toughest donkey's hide, a spreading malaria to Yakub and four dozen of these neighbours. People came down with itchy dermatitis from walking through the floodwaters. Farmers could not plant in drenched fields, began cutting back their simple meals of vegetables from rice from three a day to two, and then for some, just one. You'll find a link to that story in the show notes. Next we have a long-range forecast from the Australian Bureau of Meteorology for 2023. Welcome to the Bureau's long-range forecast for spring 2023. After what looks to be our warmest winter on record, spring is also likely to bring warmer days and reduced rainfall. Let's look at recent conditions. Winter has been much drier than usual for many areas, including in the southwest and parts of the east. Large areas of northern and central Australia had above average rainfall over the winter months, mostly due to unseasonal rain in late June and early July. For Australia as a whole, rainfall this winter is tracking at around 8% below average. Winter has been warmer than average almost everywhere, except the southwest corner of WA. Overall, Australia is on track to have its warmest winter on record with the national mean temperature around 1.5 degrees above average. Soil moisture is now very much above average across large areas of the north and some central regions, but soils are drying out in large parts of the east and some southern areas where there's been lower rainfall. Combined, Australia's water storages are close to 80% full. Many are more than 90% full. However, some storages are dropping below 
The long range forecast for spring shows a high chance of below average rainfall for most of Australia. This is very different to last year's wetter forecasts for spring. Last year, spring was the second wettest on record. 2023 is looking different. Many areas have an increased chance of an unusually dry spring, with the highest chances in the southwest and parts of the east. The first rains of northern Australia's wet season are likely to be later than normal, especially for the Northern Territory and Queensland. Over the coming months, with the drier forecast and soils drying out, near-median stream flow is likely for the majority of sites. Low to normal flow is forecast for most other areas. Most of the country has a high chance of daytime temperatures that are warmer than usual this spring. There's an increased chance of unusually warm days for almost all areas, especially in WA and parts of the southeast. Large areas are also very likely to have warmer than usual overnight temperatures. So what's likely to influence our climate over the coming months? We remain at El Nino alert, as it is likely an El Nino will develop this year. Sea surface temperatures are forecast to keep warming above El Nino levels. Sea surface temperatures indicate a positive Indian Ocean dipole is likely to form during spring, which can result in below average rainfall for southern and central Australia. July was the warmest month on record globally when including land and ocean temperatures. We know that a warmer climate increases the risk of extreme weather like heat waves. The outlook from the Australian fire agencies shows an increased fire risk for large areas of New South Wales, Queensland and the NT, plus parts of Victoria and South Australia. There's always a risk of dangerous and destructive fires in Australia during spring. With warm weather, grasses can quickly dry out and increase the risk of fast moving fires, including near urban areas. Now is the time to prepare and review your bushfire plan wherever you are. In summary, the forecast for spring shows below average rainfall, warmer than usual temperatures, and an increased fire risk for large areas. You can find the latest long range forecasts on the Bureau's website. Bye for now. Let's end this episode with a story from Medium and it's by Gillian Amat. The headline for the story is Canada is burning. This is the reality of climate change. The story begins, if you live in Canada, you have likely felt the effects of this. The wildfires are numerous. Hundreds of them burn out of control in Western Canada and our North. It has been devastating to many. I'll admit that I don't watch the news. I haven't in over 15 years. I learned early that the news brought doom and gloom, and I don't really want any part of that. I choose what I want to know about through platforms like YouTube. I try to control what comes into my orbit, and I tend to keep it uplifting and light if I can. But I haven't been able to avoid this bad news story. Where did we spend the summer? We spent most of the past summer in Canmore, Alberta, 
located at the eastern edge of the Rocky Mountains. It's right in the path of the jet winds that blow from the western shores of our country. It also sits on the edge of a very vast and continuous forest, one that is currently very dry. You'll find a link for that story in the show notes. Ending this episode now makes me feel like I've failed you because there's a plethora of stories, climate crisis stories, floating around the internet. They're just endless. And so there's only a few here. I'll put links to all those I've mentioned in the show notes and there'll be many others. So please don't forget to check out the show notes and have a read of what's there. Yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you along. Now, I'm really keen to know what you think about this podcast. So good or bad, email me at number 7 at icloud.com. And please don't hold back. Tell me what you think, good or bad. Either way, I want to know. Also, don't forget to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. And should you have enjoyed this episode, and I sincerely hope you did, please feel free to share it with a friend. In fact, I'd love you to share it with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, how we should deal with it, and what we should be doing. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle.